Hey, Bob DeVP here, and welcome to Do the Woo, the WooCommerce Builder Podcast, episode 203. This show is brought to you by Yoast SEO, where you can unlock extra tools, features, and SEO for Woo. And Foo Sales, a Woo point-of-sales solution that helps you bring your shop to the physical world. I'll tell you more about our pod friends later in the show, but heck, let's get started as we continue the Woo Vision series with Kathy and Jonathan as they get insights into the future of Checkout Web 3 and the e-commerce ecosystem. Welcome to episode two of Woo Visions. This is the visionary podcast looking at the future of e-commerce and specifically thinking about WooCommerce. I am joined here by my co-host, Jonathan Wald, who's head of partnerships at Post Status, and our guest today, Jordan Gall. Jordan, uh, you have a new business, Rally, that is doing some really innovative things in the e-commerce space. Uh, welcome. We're excited to learn about what you're doing. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the talk. It's good to have you, Jordan. Thanks for joining me today. Also, Jonathan, um, sort of at the last minute, just jumped right in there, ready to roll. Really appreciate it. Always happy to be here. It's uh, it's a fun topic. Anytime we can talk about the future of WooCommerce, uh, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, me too. This is pretty exciting. So I really want to learn about Rally. I started investigating what you're doing here, Jordan, and it looks like you're doing some really innovative things. Can you give us just kind of an overview for people who have never heard about your business, what Rally is all about and what it brings to e-commerce? Sure. I'll try to give the uh, quick version. I'm sure we'll get more into detail as we go. So Rally does uh, things at two levels. The, the first level is the product level. And there, what we do is offer e-commerce merchants a better converting checkout. So we allow e-commerce merchants to either uh, switch from the checkout provided to them by the platform that they're on and use rallies instead, and we can get into the benefits of doing so, or we allow people to build headless stores where instead of building a checkout themselves, they can just use ours. So that's at the product level. And then the other level, what we're trying to do, I guess the big picture is we're trying to give merchants back the power that has recently been uh, accumulated by platforms. We think merchants should be more in control of what happens in e-commerce instead of the e-commerce platforms. Okay. And you have some experience in what the Shopify world with uh, your previous business, Carthook. Can you tell us what you kind of learned in that experience and how that informed the development of Rally? Sure. Uh Yes, Carthook was an incredible experience uh, with a range of pros, cons, good, bad, ugly, amazing, all, all these different things. Um, what Carthook did is something similar. It offered Shopify merchants an ability to use a different checkout, a third-party checkout is, is how they term it. And the company and product were really successful and really popular. And we were never in the Shopify app store. So we really grew a ton from word of mouth. We ended up processing almost $3 billion and had hundreds of merchants using the product, uh, thousands over time. And unfortunately, uh, because we were um, not compatible with Shopify's business model, let's say, uh, they eventually shut us down. And so, you know, in that's part of where the ideology around Rally comes from, where the way we looked at it, we were just doing something that merchants wanted. And in a world where a merchant gets to control what happens with their business, Carthook continues to flourish. But in a world where a platform can say, actually, that's against our best interest, so we're going to tell the merchants what they can and can't do, uh, in that world, it does not work out. And so for, with Rally, we're not just trying to leave the Shopify ecosystem for more hospitable territory for ourselves, we're trying to make the e-commerce ecosystem overall more hospitable for both merchants and app developers. Interesting. And, and so Rally is is basically just a better checkout. What made you um, decide to really focus on the checkout aspect of all of the different things that e-commerce does? So in, in reality, it's my personal experience. I, I used to run an e-commerce business myself. It was on Volusion. This is like 10 years oh, ago. Yeah. Yep, Volusion was great. Um, we, we were originally on Yahoo stores and then we're losing our mind because we couldn't control anything. It's all the same themes. It's crazy from 10 years ago. The merchant should be in control, all these different things um, that are still present. 
today. And so when I ran my e-commerce business with my two brothers, I was responsible for conversion rate optimization. And so I, I got good at conversion rate optimization. And a lot of that work ends up at the most critical moment at the transaction, right at the checkout, the cart page, the checkout, the trust symbols, the payment, all these piece, little micro communications that build up trust or erode trust. So I've been obsessed with the checkout for a very long time. The cart hook started out as an abandoned cart app, right? Which basically just optimizes for the lost checkouts. And then Carthook eventually came across the bigger idea of, well, let's not just prevent abandonment or try to recover abandoned carts. Let's try to impact conversion rate and abandonment rate directly. Let's build a better checkout. And that's that's really what started the journey there. Um, and then as soon as we launched the checkout product for Shopify merchants, from there, the market kind of took us on a ride of, of its own making. It basically just yelled at us what it wanted, and we complied. One of the things I'm curious about, you said that you were never in the Shopify app store. Was that like, was it clear from the outset that there was a compatibility issue? Did you just not pursue it? Like what, can can you shed a little light on that? Yeah, it was like an accidental war. (laughs) Like we, we did not mean to get into conflict. We identified the opportunity of a one page checkout that had more customization because when we had our abandoned card app and went to do an integration with Shopify, that's when we noticed how rigid the Shopify checkout was. We couldn't get our JavaScript on the page. You couldn't do any, you couldn't add trust symbols. It was on my Shopify.com. So from my time as an e-commerce merchant, I looked at that and I said, I bet there's a mountain of demand that wants more control over the checkout. So we looked at the terms of service and it said, you can't do that. And we said, okay, you can't do it. But I was a bit persistent <laughs> and discovered that they were coming out with a checkout API. And what the checkout API allowed you to do is transact through Shopify's payment processing function off of the site. And I put two and two together and I said, we can build a checkout that allows the merchant to customize, but still goes through Shopify's payments. Therefore, we're not taking any money off of their platform. Therefore, we can do it. Oh my God, let's know. Now we can put it together. That is how we built the product originally. To, th- to make sure the transactions went through Shopify so that we wouldn't cost them any money. I mean, it seems really straightforward. So like what? I thought it was too. <laughs> and then we went to go put it into the app store. And then we're, you know, doing that thing where we're taking bets internally on how many signups are we going to get in the first 30 days, like a right. bunch of morons. And, and then of course, uh, at, right before, after we list it, we're waiting for it to get approved. We get the email back saying, we're sorry, but you can't launch this. And that's, that's when it all began. That's when it was like, well, look, we just talked to your team over the last six months. We just bet our entire company on building this second product. We're a team of four people. We're not venture funded. We built a second product. Like we took all the risk and that's kind of where it all started. And so eventually they came back and said, you, you, you can keep going, but you can't be in the app store. And you can't use the checkout API. You have to use the orders API, meaning you have to do the payments yourselves. And we were like, well, that makes no sense, but okay. So we, we rebuilt the whole engine around payments. We started doing the payments ourselves and then didn't go into the app store at all. I think they just assumed we would kind of go away and die because we didn't have distribution. So I want to I want us to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things I'm curious about at this point in time, how do you feel about proprietary platforms? So I don't think there is an inherent like evil or nefariousness. I think it's just the way these things play themselves out. There is, there is a very, very good article by Chris Dixon from A16Z called why decentralization matters. That thing hit me like a ton of bricks. And it helped me understand that the people over at Shopify were not a bad bunch of people. It's not that they were out to get me and whatever else. It's just the nature of a centralized platform to go through this S-curve where when you're just starting out, you need everyone's help. You need agencies to join and app developers to join, to fill in the blanks, to fill in the gaps in your platform, in your product. And in, in that moment, at the bottom of the S-curve, as things start to go up, it's cooperation. It's we're all in this together. Let's all grow together. 
And as you go up the S curve, it's a party. This is what happened with Facebook also. Everyone's doing well. The users are happier. The agencies are happier. The merchants are happier. The app develop. Everyone's all in the same boat. But at some point, the rate of growth starts to decrease and you start to hit the top of the S curve. And not coincidentally, that often happens right around the time the central platform goes public. And then it goes from cooperation to competition. And now what you have is a mature platform in Shopify that anytime they launch a feature, they probably just killed 10 businesses. So it's not inherently evil. It's just the nature of a platform to go through this. And we, we see it over and over. Yeah, same thing happened with Twitter and developers. And there, there, there seems to be this relationship of, um, of upliftment, but then it becomes adversarial after time. Um, but but Rally is is platform independent, right? It is platform independent. That that's right. We we want to see an e commerce ecosystem that puts the merchant in the middle, and we think the most likely place that happens is in what we're all calling the headless ecosystem, which is this thing that's just starting to form and doesn't really have any borders. It doesn't really have a shape yet. And so when we think about which platforms to build for, uh, WooCommerce is an immediate choice for us because we see the ethos, the ideology of WooCommerce being most compatible with the type of e-commerce ecosystem that we want to see. And so that, that's why it's our, you know, our first integration along with big commerce, right? You have one centralized hosted platform and then we have WooCommerce as our open source. And then the third uh, platform integration we have is with Swell, which is a headless backend platform. One of the things, just to touch on big commerce for a moment, I, I've really appreciated over the years their s- slow but steady change in positioning towards this kind of open, where like I'm uh, kind of oversimplifying from my perspective, l- watching what they've done over the years, they realized that uh, this is my own take on it, right? That they can't beat Shopify at their own game. And they see kind of the growth that's happening over on the WordPress side of things. And uh, like, I I feel similar, like proprietary platforms aren't inherently evil, like by any means. Like, in fact, there's incredible value that you can get because of the efficiencies, because of just the focus of it. So for me, the ideal is this, this, uh, there are, for some people, you need both. And what I like about BigCommerce's approach of this like open commerce position is like, hey, we'll provide you with APIs. My ideal state is like an open source base that you own and then bring in the proprietary platforms where you need them to address things, but you're not like dependent on it. I mean, yeah. And that it's been fun to watch that evolve. It still feels though, and I'm curious for your take on this coming into WooCommerce, good in theory, but I guess, how do you feel about the current state of the ecosystem in practice? WooCommerce specifically or just e-commerce overall? Um, e-commerce overall first and then Woo specifically. I, I think it's uh, I think it's challenging. Um, Shopify gets an enormous amount of the attention, but it's not like Shopify is you know, anywhere near the majority of GMV in e-commerce uh, in, in the US. Um, it's proven the model that if you can attract both sides, right? They, they have this beautiful network effect happening where app developers are attracted because of the economic opportunity. And then merchants are able to come on board because there are the apps that fill in all the gaps in the platforms, um, like missing pieces and functionality and features. And then that brings in the agencies and then that brings in more merchants. And it's this beautiful virtuous cycle. And it's really the only platform that has achieved it in that way. And so I see big commerce as doing the right things and trying to develop a similar ecosystem and a similar flywheel. And I look at WooCommerce as the, the other side of the trade-off where it's, it's an enormous amount of freedom, but it, it isn't providing the promise of the economic opportunity that building on Shopify does. And you, you kind of have to get it all right in order to attract people. Yeah. Back when I worked at WooCommerce, the thing that I would preach was this, like with WooCommerce, it's ownership, it's flexibility, it's community. I think at the end of the day, like ownership was has been, and I think will always be the, the strongest point. Uh, and, but 
it's like you have to unpack what does that actually mean. And for for everyone, like early stage, for instance, it's not necessarily a benefit. I would often go to this rent versus own. And for some time, like rent is perfect to start something, right? Uh, but it's it's interesting because to have that conversation authentically, you have to acknowledge the trade-offs of that, which is like, hey, it's yours. And right now, one of the challenges that I see, at least at a macro level, is there's a lot of like, well, you can figure it out. <laughs> which is not necessarily what a, a fast growing merchant wants to hear, right? It's like, well, great that I own it, but like I have some real problems that need to be addressed right now. And who do I, where do I go to? Like, oh, somewhere in the ecosystem, there is a solution for you. There's definitely someone who's like, well, that's great. I believe you, but how do I find them? Yeah, that's that's one of the, the trade-offs of this like very open other side of it is that you can end up being much left much more to your own devices, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I, I'm curious on where that's going to go. Um, and I'm curious how monetization fits in around payments or hosting or software itself or services, agencies. I, I still think, you know, personal incentive is the thing that drives these things forward. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I worry about that. You know, I'm, I'm speaking for myself partly here where when I look at the WooCommerce ecosystem, I want to be able to see economic opportunity without guilt. I, I don't want to look at that situation and say, okay, I think we can make you know an enormous amount of money on it, but I have to be careful. I have to tread lightly. Like I think that is dangerous and unhealthy for the ecosystem. I'd like to expand on that a little bit I don't know, because I think you're touching on something that is often not voiced, but I, I'd argue is fairly well felt in like the WordPress ecosystem broadly, it's like almost this, we feel bad if we're making lots of money. Yes. Or charging a lot. Or charging. Yeah. Charging a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm, and, and Kathy, I'm curious, does that sentiment, do you, have you noticed any of the same? Like does what you're, is what Jordan's saying resonating with you? Yeah. I mean, the, I've been in WordPress for a long time. And when I first started, uh, well, when I first started, there were no plugins, but as plugins started coming along and as themes started coming along, it was almost like, well, people, WordPress is free. It's open source. And why are you charging for, why, why are you tainting our open source world with charging for this? And, but I think it's matured a lot. Um, there, the, as more and more, I've talked to a number of like plugin developers and they all have sort of like their philosophy of what do you give away for free and what do you charge for? And it, there seems to be this consensus is of if you're going to help somebody make money, if you're going to help somebody um, save time in making of the money, then it's okay to charge for things. But, you know, try to make the world a better place with what you're doing and try, you know, there's this altruism and, you know, we hear a lot about five for the future and, and giving back to the WordPress space. So, so there's the, this balance and I don't think anybody's found like the perfect right answer. It's, it, but I think, you know, we will find a balance. There has to be some kind of contribution back to open source, but, um, you know, we've got to also put food on the table and pay for college and horses and all the other things that our our children need. I have a thought on this, but Jordan, I'm curious for your for your perspective. Like, what would it look like to make money in the space without guilt? So, I wouldn't want to say that people should think the way I think. I think the I think the 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 best situation possible is that is that everyone gets to think the way they think. I personally think that maximizing revenue and profit is what makes the world a better place in, in this situation. Because that's, that's when the best software and the best services, and that's just a function of it. And people who are very, very interested in doing financial well for themselves very often make an ecosystem better, make technology better, make services better. Um, so that's the way I think. I just want to be able to do that without tiptoeing. And right now I feel like tiptoeing is a requirement. I've also been in the space a long time. And I think that well describes, like, I don't feel it, like personally, however, I notice it. And especially with companies coming in, like I notice the companies who quote unquote don't tiptoe and they get really hung out to dry. And, and so then it's like, okay, well, what did we do wrong? And there actually were things that they did wrong in, in, in terms of their understanding of the space, but it ends up making this, this like this fear piece. There are two things I've noticed. Uh, the first, I, I think about like when, especially I asked myself this question back when I worked at WooCommerce of like, why, why are people willing to give their time for free to WooCommerce? 
because we had this whole like community volunteer program and everything. Because WordPress, it's a bit clear, but WooCommerce is a business. Like, why were people willing to do that? Because they were. They were they were volunteering. And and one of the things that as I unpacked that and thought that through, I think there's something about open source and this concept of shared ownership where if I help someone else get involved and and help them with what they're doing, it also helps me, whether I'm conscious of it or not. The more people who succeed in it, because it's like, why do people go to meetups? Why do they spend their time helping others? There's different reasons. But at the end of the day, uh, like for me to be able to realize that, wow, because of this shared open source ecosystem, if someone does something cool, if they improve something, uh, and sometimes it can be hard to quantify, but overall, I'm also benefiting because I'm in the same ecosystem. So I don't need to rely on altruism to solicit volunteers because we all kind of make that better. Uh, does that? I'm curious if that resonates with with you. It, it does. It does because in, in any of these communities, where none of us are 100 focused on profit, we we do things for a number of reasons: reputation, fun, friendship, belonging, and also like financial success and business success. I mean, it, go, it ranges from hobby because that's what you like to do. All the way to, well, I think, you know, going on this podcast is going to present more people to rally and that's good for me and for the business. And I, also I'm having fun. So it's all, it's all mixed up in like this human, you know, version of participating. So speaking of different ways of thinking, like, so for me personally, as an entrepreneur, my, my choice is to focus on value. Like how much value can I create knowing that the more value I create, the more I get to capitalize on the creation of that value. Like one of the framings that I use as just a mental model is to say, okay, if I want to make money in, an op- in a situation, how do I create 10x value and then just charge a tenth of that value? And I'm like, if I'm looking at business models, I'm like, okay, if I want to sell a plugin for a thousand bucks a month, which like, what? What are you talking about? What? And it's like, yeah, all I have to do is create $10,000 of value a month. And that's something that I feel like has been missing from our space where people will create these plug the, this incredible thing and like and it's thirty nine dollars a year. I'm like, what are you what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a disconnect from value. Yes. As someone who is coming over from the Shopify space, where at Cardhook, we started at five hundred dollars a month and added half a percent of revenue. And we only got there, we started off much lower, but we got there by looking at the enormous amount of value we were creating. Yes. Yep. People would leave the Shopify checkout and start using our checkout. And I mean, we had merchants doing $20 million a month and doing $2 million in post-purchase offers. Something that our software enabled that they couldn't do on Shopify, literally $2 million a month in additional revenue. That, That is what helped me really come to terms with. It does not matter how it sounds, what we charge it. As long as it's related to the value that they're getting, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the actual number is. This is something I think is missing a little bit from our ecosystem right now. I'm starting to see more of it, but I think it's an opportunity where it's like focusing on value. And this is, I, I was surprised early on in my time at Woo at like just how much, like I, I felt some of that tiptoeing coming from my WordPress experience and talking to merchants about like money and like what they pay for things and plugins and all this and realize that no one cares. Because for all, for like, at least in all my experience, because it's like they're running a business, it's a very simple like value calculus. If you have a, a WooCommerce store that's doing 50 grand plus a month in sales, in some ways you're underserving them to offer a $100 plugin. You're like, you're telling me that this core piece of functionality that I use for my business is only this? Like, how, how can I rely on that? Yeah, we, we had a very similar experience because we, we offered a checkout, which is central to the entire commerce business. And we had a competitor that charged a lot less than we did. And when we started looking at our business and how to make it healthier, we had too much demand. And we didn't, our software wasn't, wasn't at a place that it could handle that demand. And so what was happening was our churn was so high because we we had like three or 400 trials a month for a $500, at that point it was $300 a month product. So ostensibly a dream scenario, right? Over 100K in MRR in trials every single month. And what we did was we shut it all down and forced a demo. And instead of taking three or 400 trials a month, we would take like 30 new merchants a month and charged a lot more. And our business got so much healthier and churn went from like 12% a month to 1% a month. 
And it was because we just narrowed in on that equation. Who wants an enormous amount of value and is willing to pay us for it? So that is not a sign of us being geniuses. It, that's a sign of like a competitive marketplace. So, right, everyone's picking their spot. Our competitor did a great job at onboarding a lot more merchants at a lower price point. And the, we had an application process. So when the merchant wasn't right for us, we would, you know, literally link to the competitor and say, this is going to be a better option for you. So that that ability to like pick and choose where you live in the market, I, it does, it is happening in the WooCommerce space. You see hosting that's expensive and very good. And then you also see much cheaper. So it's good that it's mature in that way. I think it just needs to just keep going. Hey everyone, Bob WP dropping into the show for a short break to tell you more about our two pod friends and to thank them for their amazing support. If you have a client who's looking for a point of sale solution, consider suggesting Foo Sales. In fact, Foo Sales is the first native WooCommerce point of sale to support in-person payments using Square Reader. Now you can use Foo Sales with the Square Terminal for your client projects, but the icing on the cake is that it not only works with Foo Sales iPad and Android apps, but the Foo Web app. So you really need to check this out if your clients have been asking for a point of sale solution or a new point of sale solution. Find them at foosales.com. It's a fact. Yoast SEO works seamlessly with WooCommerce. And whether it's for yourself or your clients, Yoast unlocks extra tools, features, and SEO for some serious online selling and competition. The products will stand out in search results while you get the best practice SEO on the technical side. And to top that off, you are not alone. Their e-commerce SEO training is included with the purchase of Yoast SEO to help you and your clients learn how to get the most out of the features it includes. Just visit Yoast.com and boost up the discovery of you or your client's online shop. Make sure and check out both of these pod friends. And now let's get back to the show. Oh, really? Um, it, it, I, I was researching what you're doing, reading on your site. Um, with it being independent, it also seems um, like you have talked about it being um, community owned. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So if we... A lot of the things that we're talking about right now is is around coordination, right? Where does the platform live? Where do the merchants live? Where do the service providers live? Where are the app developers? Like, how does this all work together and become coordinated in, in the right direction together to make it all better? So for me, the the, the promise of Web3 and the, problems, the, the promise of crypto tokens is around that coordination in the same direction over a long period of time without a central authority telling people what they can and can't do. And that's almost like a, the way I look at it is like a tragedy of the commons solution, right? Where um, we can get into a situation where we're all incentivized to take care of this thing together because as it improves, everyone gets value out of it, even though no one owns it wholly. Yeah, I want to back up just a little bit because you're you're using some terms and th- that are new to people, and I think especially in the WooCommerce space um, with Web three. I want to first, can you define what Web three means um, when we're Barely. talking about this? Because <laughs> because there's a lot of people who talk about it in different terms, but what does it mean? What does it mean in the rally space? So for rally, the way we look at it is that the the checkout is where a lot of the value uh, happens in e commerce. And we are coming out of an experience at Shopify where at some point they understood that the checkout is where they derive their power. So they have a front end where the storefronts happen. They have a back end with the e-commerce functionality and third-party app ecosystem. But that entire platform, the entire system is aimed at pushing as much transaction volume as possible through the checkout. And that is where the business model is located. Uh, You can see over time in Shopify's filings how payments revenue 
very quickly overtook subscription revenue and it went from being a software company to a payments company. And not surprisingly, they didn't like what we were doing because we were taking a billion dollars a year off of their platform. Um, so now that we're, we're building what we see as just that central part, just the gate, just that one part, we're not building a front end or the back end. We want merchants to be able to do whatever they want on the front end, whatever they want on the back end. And we're just building that point of transaction. And we think it's very short term to think that we should apply the same concept of, well, let's push as many transactions as possible and then take as much as possible through the checkout. And that will be our revenue and we'll send it back to our shareholders the same way Shopify does. We think that might work, but only in the short term. We'll get into the same situation as other platforms where at some point you'll get into competition with everyone around us between the front end and the back end and so on. So we want to take a very different approach and the way we see it, the way we can accomplish the goals that we have in mind while also being successful ourselves is by incentivizing and aligning incentives through a token. And a token represents ownership in a network. And so what we want to do is we want merchants to earn ownership in the rally network based on how much revenue they're processing, processing through the checkout. And so what we do is we drive value into that token instead of uh, driving value directly into our shareholders. Okay. So the, so this token, explain exactly what the token means. Is this a token that the merchant owns? Yeah. So, so merchants earn tokens based on how much revenue they're processing through the checkout. And those tokens derive them certain benefits in the network. Things like one, access to the product. You have to hold a certain number of tokens in order to use our checkout. Um, the other thing is discounts. And so the more, more tokens you earn, the less you pay us as a central company. So the more you keep stake, the more you earn and keep stake, the lower your pricing goes. So you're benefiting almost like as a co-op, almost like a Costco. Yep. Okay. Like you, you get membership and now you're a contributing member and therefore you get better pricing. And then the, another benefit is governance. So we take a portion of our revenue and we send it to a community wallet and that wallet is controlled by the merchants themselves. So as that wallet earns more uh, of the fees and has more money, then governance over the, uh, over the network has real teeth. Like you can do real things with real money with it. And in the future, uh, there will be big decisions on the product, the the platform, the network, what to do with the money, what to integrate with next, all these different things that we want over time, the merchants to control more than us. So right now in the beginning, the company, the corporation plays a very large role in getting it off the ground. But over time, the role of the company is reduced and the role of the merchants themselves goes up. But that it's that crossover. It's that for the cold start problem to, to use a phrase that people are, are more familiar sure, with. Sure. Um, that's what we're trying to spark as quickly as possible. Okay. So the rally network is kind of like a blockchain. So we use, uh, we're building on Solana and oh, okay. our, our opportunity and challenge all mixed up in one is to make all this really easy and understandable and merchants don't need to do anything. They don't need a hardware wallet. They don't need to go up the crazy learning curve of like controlling your own money or anything like that. So we are a web two, web three blend of a hosted software product that people you know, drag and drop and click without any like complications, but we want to bring the benefits of web three and ownership and tokens to the merchants using the product. Okay. Interesting. Why did you choose Solana? A uh, number of reasons ranging from transaction costs, speed, uh, availability of investment, um, availability of support developers, the rust language. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And for for people who aren't really into sort of the crypto space, Solana is a blockchain technology that is somewhat like Ethereum. Uh, yes, it's a layer one blockchain, which is like means like where transactions and uh, uh, blocks are settled. Um, yeah, and w our job is to really obfuscate that from the merchants and users. Uh, it just needs to work as opposed to like a DeFi protocol where like the most important thing is anonymity. It's not that. We want to bring a lot of this value and benefit to a web two environment that's very understandable. 
And we think commerce is perfect for it because what we have in our checkout is an engine of value. It will spit yep. off value forever. And that value, we think, is best earned by the merchants themselves. So when we like glimpse out into the future 10, 20 years, we think something like this can just keep going for a very long time because it won't – the ideal, the plan <laughs> is that it doesn't hit that same top of the S-curve, that it doesn't start to fight and compete with its participants and its – you know, it's ecosystem. On, on this like web three topic, like I, I would describe myself. Um, I, I, I pay attention and this is perhaps a, a character flaw or just a personality uh, quirk, but like, if I see things really hyped, I tend to like avoid them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like, all right, there's a lot of this stuff going on now. Now this is intention with my like very like open web centric. Um, like I believe in, so, so what I suspect to be true right now is that there are things that I deeply resonate with that like are in this bigger web three bucket that I'm kind of just not looking at because of all the hype I'm seeing around these NFTs and and like Twitter's asking me if I want an NFT profile picture. I'm like, get out of here. Like, what are you talking about? And, and so I'm curious. So I'm in this category where I'm suspecting deeper, deep resonance with some of these ideas because I believe in decentralization I also see the trade-offs of it. So I'm interested in like, how do you mitigate those things in a way that doesn't compromise like what makes it essential? So for you as someone who's building a company in this space, I guess, how would you explain to me, and I, and I suspect that there's others in this camp where it's like, haven't crossed over. There is probably alignment, but I'm kind of not looking because of all the hype. Like what, what's, what is it about this that's worth paying attention to? Like, why should I care? Oh, I, I, in, in one word, the reason to pay attention and not dismiss is inevitability that this is, it's all coming. It's, it's not like a, whether or not it's happening. It just depends on the pace and how it looks. Why, why is it coming? You see things around you every day on the web these days that start to point in the direction of there's only one solution, and that solution is more decentralization, more ownership, more control. I mean, everyone is familiar at this point. Even consumers who have nothing to do with the software world are aware of platform issues. They're everywhere now. It's from Facebook to Twitter to banking. It's everywhere and it is it is serious, right? We're seeing very serious applications of these problems and issues right now. We see it in politics. We see it in the Canada truck situation. I mean, it is everywhere. And a lot of the, the solutions are coming out of this, this movement. The problem is that it is ugly and it is messy and it is human nature on display. And that is not always pretty. <laughs> so you do have to, you do have to, take in some things that are not attractive and you do have to rightfully look at some of the things with a lot of skepticism and some of the things are straight up scam and straight up illegal, but that's human nature. It's it's that's everywhere. That's regular software, regular banking, open source, closed source, online, offline. It's messy. And for, for me, I just, I got put into a situation where I didn't know what to do. I was building the company of my dreams with 20, 25 people, a small group of people really committed to providing value to our customers. We were really successful. Our customers were really successful. The company was successful. We were enjoying what we, what we did. We got together like it was phenomenal and we got destroyed by a platform. And if you're me in those shoes and, and every day you're walking around with the guillotine over your head, at some point in time, you get sick of it and you look for solutions instead of just complaining. And, and I don't, maybe we're at the tip of the spear. Maybe we experienced a particularly harsh version of the experience with a larger platform. And maybe that puts us in the right place to, to lead in this direction. And, and that's how I feel. And and I think that's worth it. That's worth fighting for. And so I'm, I'm comfortable betting a, a lot on it. And, and um, the next 10 plus years of my life, I'm comfortable betting because because I feel an inevitability. And when I talk to people who are um, 
a lot of times it's investors who, whose job it is to look out into the future and think about how, how does the world look in the future and how should I bet based on that now? Uh, there's a lot of resonance there because the things that we're saying are true. And if you go off and talk to app developers in these closed systems, they're scared. And if you go talk to merchants that they're not allowed to do what they want, they're frustrated. Uh, so whether it's NFTs or commerce or whatever applications of th these things online, a lot of it feels inevitable. And that feels like a good bet to me. I have an experience. So when I first figured out DeFi, I was actually walking through, it might have been Target or a grocery store. And I just kind of looked around at everybody who was buying things, just merchant, you know, people buying toilet paper. And I realized that eventually they would be start, they would make transactions and it would feel normal to them, but they wouldn't understand that everything on the underside of that had changed over to decentralized finance. And it was just like this, oh my gosh, awareness that came to me of an of inevitability and you summed it up right there. Um, it was it was just kind of like this aha moment of it's not necessarily going to change people's lives, but people's lives are going to change. Um, how is towards that experience when someone's shopping on a storefront that is going to use rallies checkout? How does it feel? What's happening behind the scenes where they're just checking out and they're getting their stuff? But what's really happening? What's going on? <laughs> Where are all the moving pieces? Yeah. You know, and we see, we see an arc of that experience for the shopper on, on where it is right now and what we need to build for in terms of meeting expectations today and then looking out along that arc into the future on where it goes. So right now what we see in commerce is a world where there is uh, there is – very little connection between the shopper on one side of the screen and the merchant on the other. It literally does not know who you are. And in order to understand who you are, you need to fill out fields. You need to put in your first name and your last name and your street address and your zip code and your state. And then you need to punch in your credit card numbers. And then you hit, need to hit the, word, the, the buy button. And you are conveying to that website that does not know who you are. You're conveying, this is my data. Here's the stuff you need in order to send me the information. And that feels so archaic. That is not how it needs to be. It really should be. I, I almost think of it like the what's the what's that painting? I'm not a religious person. You know, the painting with God and like Jesus touched <laughs> fingers. That's how transacting online should be. You get my data. One little beep. Here's the information that I have decided to provide to you, and just the information that you need, and no more and no less. And I get to control it as the shopper. And here you go. Now you can send me my stuff. So we want to work toward that. Right now, we need to meet expectations, right? In, in terms of checkout and conversion, you cannot do anything. You can't put zip code before state because that's not how people's brains work. And that's not good for, for conversion. So right now, we have a checkout that works in that environment. What we've added is the layer of convenience. And, and that comes in the form of a vault, so when someone goes to a rally checkout and they do that thing once, here's my first name, last name, here's my address, and here's my payment info, we just ask you to do that once. And then we save it to a vault that we that we can't see the data on, so it's secure. And then next time you come back to any rally checkout throughout the network, regardless of platform or payment processor, as soon as you type your email address in, we send you an authentication and we recall your yeah. info. So at least we're trying to tackle that one issue of don't make people keep giving you the information. It makes no sense. When you speak about inevitability, I, I've had that experience uh, multiple times of buying something from a new merchant. And especially if it's an independent site, I'm like, do I really have to enter all this information? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you don't actually. It's just that there is no cross-platform network, right? So Shopify did this inside of Shopify yes, and it works yes. only inside of the Shopify platform and it works only for Shopify payments. Right, so it's one platform and one processor, and it's all geared toward modifying behavior toward their business model. Use Shopify payments. So we we are the opposite approach. We are across platforms and across processors. So right now, what happens is you go through, and then we go we work with the payment processor to tokenize, and then we go one layer beneath that into our own vault, so that we can recall that information regardless of which site and regardless of which processor they use. Yep. 
I like that a lot. One thing I'm I'm curious about. So you've you came from the Shopify ecosystem. You've you see a lot of alignment with the Woo space. You see a lot of opportunity in the Woo space. Uh, to, tell us a bit about your what's your experience been like coming into WooCommerce so far, and and where I'd like you to go with that is like from from the outside in of like all the time that you spent in Shopify, which I think is actually is valuable for a lot of reasons. But sometimes we're too insular in this space where people don't realize like how it works on other platforms. What are some of the things? To, tell us about your experience, and what are some of the things that you'd like to see improved in this ecos in the WooCommerce ecosystem? So. So the going into the WooCommerce ecosystem, my general impression is that it is much more dispersed, right? Shopify takes it all and like bundles it all together. Here's this community of app developers, agencies, and merchants. And what that does is it makes it really easy to go to market. Like, you know who the players are, you know who to talk to, you know where to go, whether it's Facebook groups or whatever else, it's kind of easy to identify who the merchants, who the app those, who the agencies are. And and WooCommerce feels more difficult to kind of like grab onto and like, okay, this is where to go. So at the same time, people in WooCommerce are much friendlier, much easier to talk to, much more straightforward, much more accessible. And so that 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 is like the trade-off there in, in my mind. At at Shopify, because we were never allowed in the app store, our playbook was partnerships. How do we just add value to partners, right? One of our biggest partners was Recharge that did subscriptions. So we partnered with them and it ended up 50% of Carthook's customer base were also Recharge customers. So we did this overlap thing that benefited everyone. Uh, and so I'm, that's what I'm looking for in the WooCommerce space. And so far, it's relatively straightforward because people are responsive and accessible. So there isn't like this ego thing around like, well, you're not established, so I won't talk to you, or you're too small, or you're not a plus partner, or like the platform itself, you know, was impossible to deal with. Impossible to deal with. And they had very, very strange issues internally, because you were always talking to someone at Shopify, but you knew that that person wasn't making the decision, but you couldn't talk to the person making the decision. That wasn't like allowed or like very, very difficult to do. So you're talking to someone who really their interest is just making sure they get the next set of stock options. That's their goal, but you're trying to do something for your business, but you can't get to this. It's a very, very strange situation. Whereas in WooCommerce, you just start emailing people and they respond and all of a sudden you're on calls and there's intros. So it's much more open. And what are some of the things that given the experience that you have and kind of looking at the future, I guess what what's what guidance would you offer the WooCommerce ecosystem? And given what you know, what you've seen, and the inevitability that you feel, if for the people who are listening, who are building on WooCommerce, who are building product businesses, et cetera, like what what are some of the things that you'd encourage them to think about? That's that's tough, and I think one of the most important things I've learned going into WooCommerce is to is to is to walk in humble, and and. Don't walk in and just start saying, oh, you're doing this wrong and this wrong, this wrong, because there's a there's a long history here. There is a culture that is the product of a very long time and a lot of people putting an enormous amount of effort. So to come in as a newcomer and just start to point things out that are wrong, I've been very, very hesitant to do. Uh, my, my plan is to focus on the merchants. My plan is to just kill it for the merchants. And then everyone has to pay attention and everyone's got to play ball. So, so coming in like tiptoeing a little bit, almost out of respect of, let me just understand my landscape here before I start, you know, telling people what, what should and shouldn't be, um, I think is the right approach. It's also what I've seen work most effectively with the business in the space. When you focus on the merchants and providing value for them, solving problems for them, there's a degree to which a lot of the rest doesn't matter. I've seen plugin authors like upset with other plugin authors for their pricing or what they're doing. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, are your merchants happy? Like, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I think if, if there's any, I don't even know if it's advice, but like one of the things that I've seen that I think would be really good for the ecosystem is to do as much as possible to, to wash away the stigma of charging. And because, so I see, when I see like, like, heartbreak from app developers like it, you, you can't be successful with with that you, you can't have people who work really hard and then are 
they're just exhausted by whether whether it's people stealing their code, them not being able to charge, uh, being unsure of what they can and can't charge or do, and like that like heartbreak of like here is my honest commitment in good faith, and what I get back is not commensurate with that. That is really dangerous because that that will that will turn people off from continuing their their contributions. I don't know how, but I kind of got lucky with that early on. Like somehow people taking my stuff and remixing it didn't bother me. And I've noticed that it will bother people. Like this whole idea of GPL, but what does that really mean? Like uh, just, I don't know, like early on, I, I had people take some of my things and like repackage it and sell it. And it bothered me at first. Uh, and it's, it's like, yeah, there's still a degree to which, especially like without attribution or anything, but but there's something where it's just like worked out so much incredibly on the balance of like, this is worth so much more that it is open and that we have the ability to do that. And that's one of the things I haven't quite figured out how to best do it, but it's like, you have to learn that one way or the other where it's like, Hey, it is okay within this open source space. If someone like takes your stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It, that, that takes time. And I'm, I'm working on that myself because I'm, I'm going to this web three space where composability and interoperability is like, that's the point. That is what's seen as like, you know, I think a good quote is like composability or interoperability uh, is the same, is to DeFi or same to Web3 as compound interest is to finance. Oh, wow. Like that's the thing that's going to eventually make it better than its close counterparts. So so you do have to kind of be comfortable with that. You know, I maybe I'm I'm more old school in that way. So I have have more of a learning curve to go on. You know, I almost see like, yeah, open source. Once you have your moat (laughs) as, as a very, as a very reasonable way to do it. Um, But look, it's been this way for a long time. I'm, I'm friends with Adi Pinar because we were both in the e-commerce space, you know, for a long time. And I mean, that's, that's WooCommerce's history. WooCommerce's history is a company called WooThemes doing an unbelievable job at moving things forward. But from my understanding, and this is not coming from Adi, this is, we haven't really talked about this, but my sense of what happened with WooThemes is they were made to feel really bad for charging, for making money. I know there are still people decade plus later that are like, hey, they were the guys who took JigoShop and turned it into to Woo, WooCommerce. And most, most of the space is forgotten, but there's a few people like, I remember. I'm like, what did they do wrong? It's open source. <laughs> you can't have both. You can't say it's open source to do whatever you want with it and then blame people when they take it and do whatever they want with it. Like we got to have both. And that's one of those things that DeFi has done well. And there are just forks all over the place and copycats. And it is part of the wild west, like landscape of the whole thing. And everyone kind of acknowledges that's part of the price we're all going to pay, but it moves things forward so much faster. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's where innovation happens. It happens in the Wild West. It happens when there's no rules. It happens when there's no boundaries. And it happens when, you know, one guy goes into one saloon and takes somebody else's stuff. And it it's That's the thing. It's it's mixed in with personal interest and personal incentive. And people with big eyes that go to the West and say, I'm gonna dig up all this gold because I'm I'm the only one here is not a is not a bad thing. So it's like mixing the open source ethos with like extreme capitalism is how we go a lot is how we go a lot faster or selling shovels to the miners <laughs> the other angle of it right which is what a lot of us do exactly yeah, yeah. It, it, one of the things i want to be curious about and, and especially over the next couple of years like there's a certain critical mass like woocommerce is big enough now like there's a big ecosystem there wordpress even bigger there's growth on both fronts there's this there's lots to work with in the space especially as wordpress moves closer to its 50%. There's this theme that I'm paying attention to of what is it going to look like to professionalize cuz it's like we acknowledge the wild westness part of it which has a lot of advantages. There's also like for me I'm I'm really curious and like okay, how do we take the essence of that and and grow up? Right? Like cuz there are trade-offs of that, right? Like it's like you don't necessarily want to bring your family to the wild west. <laughs> it's true. Um, like so it's that's that's the theme that I'm starting to pay more attention to is like for instance I'm glad that you picked up on like you found that partnerships were a way that you mitigated the and this is how people do it in WordPress it's often partnerships are how you get distribution 
like one of the things I've been paying attention to at post status is like, how do we professionalize that? Because it's still something that like, if you're good at it, great. But for a lot of folks, it's a big barrier where they're like, well, how do, what do I do? And it's something that ends up being unintentionally gatekept where it's like a few people do lots of partnership deals. How do you, and so just overall, it's like, how do, that's the, that's the opportunity that I'm paying attention to and saying, how do we help our ecosystem professionalize? One of the ways I think we do it is by companies like Rally coming into the space, bringing lessons and bringing ways of thinking from other ecosystems in, but like really taking root. And it's something that I, I think uh, you, it's like, you can't make it happen. That's part of the beauty of like this open source and decentralized yet I think is a real opportunity to improve. It's like, hey, let's let's grow ourselves up a bit and bring more professionalization to what we do. Yes, and the they are sometimes at odds the the decentralized versus the right because w- one of the th- most powerful things is is a centralized app store. Yes, and and that 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 lessens the dependence on uh, partnerships and access and money and it kind of flattens things out uh and that's a good thing uh but even an app store is is a bit dangerous because if it's centrally con- uh controlled right now the shopify app store is is, is crazy <laughs> right they basically built an app store to democratize and then they layered in ads <laughs> yeah have you seen microsoft just last week published i think it was last week or the week before their um uh, their policies for like or their, their guidance for like an open web app store. Did you see that? I've I've seen more in that direction, and I'm very happy with that. Right? You you see Apple's app store. It ends up actually being the point where there's the most control exerted, even if it was like a democratizing impulse to go in that direction. Yeah, I I'm very excited about WooCommerce's opportunity over the next few years, but I I think it's you know the it's time constraint. It's not going to be open forever. We have a moment in time right now where Shopify's ecosystem, to me, feels unhealthy because the merchants are really frustrated. There's a great Twitter thread by Moise Ali, uh, the founder of Native Deodorant. He, okay, so he tweeted last week, and you, you can. So he wrote about product issues, and those product issues are very real and felt very painfully by a lot of merchants, especially the most successful merchants. They're the ones that are just baffled. But why can't I do all these different things? Why do I need to orchestrate 20 different apps to accomplish what I need? And some of the apps you won't let me use. And so it's this very frustrating experience for a merchant right now. And then on the other hand, this was my retweet of that and then putting in my own thread around the app store. And the app store I don't think is healthy right now because no one knows where things are going to go. What Shopify is going to invest in one of their competitors? Are they going to acquire one of their competitors? Are they going to launch their own feature set? People, so so there's a lot of issues on both the merchant side and the app store side. To me, that does not mean Shopify goes to zero. They're not going to zero. But what it does mean is that the environment exists for both merchants and app developers to be open to alternatives. And, and that's the moment in time that I want to dive into as hard as possible so it's it's that problem. How do we make a compelling enough case for merchants to leave Shopify? And I don't think it's a traditional platform that does it. Right, big commerce will pull some merchants over. So will Salesforce. So will you know other platforms, including WooCommerce. But I think what makes the most compelling uh, argument for a merchant to come off is the freedom around being able to do what they want with their business. And, and I, that's what I see headless as like this, this opportunity for merchants to pick and choose what's right for them instead of be told what to do inside of a platform, choose the front end that's right for you. And the apps that go there, choose the back end that's right for you, choose the payment options that are right for you. So out, right. That's why you can see what we're doing in that context. We want to be the default checkout for that ecosystem that lets people do whatever they want on both sides. But I see WooCommerce as potentially playing a very important role, not just on the back end in the e-commerce functionality, but also on the front because it has this, this like blossoming landscape of apps and people can do what they want and they don't have to worry about all these centralization issues. So I, I just hope, you know, I hope 
that the ecosystem can put it together. It sounds like it's coming together, that there's an inevitability of what people really want and what people really need. And all of the different puzzle pieces are coming together to make this really the perfect time for some real innovations to happen. And Jordan, I'm so glad that you came on Visions today to talk about all of this. I love the blend of your experience at Shopify, as well as the vision that you're seeing of what's happening in DeFi and bringing it all together and sharing that with us today. It was a really great conversation. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about Rally, if they want to learn more about your thoughts on e-commerce as a whole? Yes. So first, thank you very much for having me on. It was fun. It was a great conversation, a great way to start the week. Um, in terms of finding what we're doing, it's rallyon.com. Uh, if you go to the blog there, there are a few blog posts that kind of spell out our vision and our experience and what we're trying to get after. Um, and if you want to follow me, it's at Jordan Gall on Twitter. And feel free to say hello. And if you happen to be in the Chicago area, I'm moving there soon. So be in touch. Jordan, that was uh, fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your insights and perspective and uh, excited to see what uh, what y'all continue to do with Rally. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hey everyone, Bob WP here and thanks again for tuning into today's show. I'd like to give one more shout out to our two broad friends for that point of sale solution, whether it's for your iPad or an Android app or using their web app, check out foosales.com and ensure both you and your client's products stand out and compete in the search results with Yoast SEO at Yoast.com. Of course, you can follow us on either Twitter at DoTheWoo, on the podcast here at DoTheWoo.io, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always, until the next time, keep on doing the woo.